This is Undefiled, a podcast dedicated to demystifying biblical truths about sex, love, and marriage. I'm your host, David Grams. You should know about me that I love marriage, and it's because I love marriage so much that I want Christians to experience thriving relationships and marriages, a healthy and shameless sexuality, and to be able to talk about these things boldly and confidently with anyone. By listening to this podcast, you'll discover that most of what we think we know about biblical marriage and sexuality has been adulterated by cultural additives. My wife, Allie, and I implore you to renew your mind to a pure biblical understanding and your relationships will be transformed. Whether you're single, dating, married, divorced, I believe this podcast will bless you immensely. If you're interested in reading any of my books, visit valiantmi.com store. Let's get to it. Hey everyone, David Grams here with the Undefiled Podcast. As I mentioned in a few episodes earlier, it is now on video, so if you're listening to the audio right now, go ahead and check it out on YouTube if you want the video advantage as well. And this episode, this is the third in a series I'm doing actually following, following my book, Undefiled, chapter by chapter, so you guys have the ability to read the book listen to the podcast together and in addition to this you can join a small group that you that you will talk about the content of this book and the podcast with and you use what I'm calling a discussion guide to help you and this is kind of the new exciting announcement for this whole project I've just published what is called the undefiled discussion guide small group discussion guide you can find it on the website valiantmi.com store get a copy of it it's about eight dollars 20 pages and it goes through each chapter with question prompts so that you are initiating discussion around the content in the chapter in a way that's precise, in a way that's that's fruitful and, and meaningful. So I'd encourage you guys to check out that. It's published now. You can find it again on the website valiantmi.com store. The link's going to be in the bottom of the screen as well if you are watching the video podcast. Okay, so moving forward here. This episode is going to be covering chapter three of the book, which is called The Purpose of Intimacy. Now, I have cited at the top of that chapter, the beginning of the chapter, that it is actually copied from another one of my books called Christ and the Church, The Untold Truth About Marriage. So this chapter was actually taken out of that that earlier book because it has to do with really the essence of human sexuality as God intended it. Why would God not just create sex, but what is the purpose of it? Why? What, what does he intend it to accomplish for a man and woman in, in a marriage context? And so that's what we're, what we're gonna talk about in this episode. Now we're gonna get into things that are a little bit more theological at first, so you guys understand the spiritual origin or the spiritual core, the, the beating heart, if you will, of human sexuality and, and what God says the purpose of it is. So to start, what I would like us to do is go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to start reading around verse 12 here. I'm going to pull it up on a, on a Bible I have here, 1 Corinthians 6, and we'll probably start around verse 12. Now, the reason why we're reading in 1 Corinthians 6 is because Paul actually teaches the Corinthians some, some things about sexuality. In this context, he's actually denouncing an immoral sexuality, but there's a few kind of mysterious statements in there that actually reveal to us a lot about God's purpose for sex. So if we start reading in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 6, it says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. 
foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God will and and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So first point before we move on is that our bodies have a purpose. Your body was created to experience sexuality in a specific context that's not a restriction, it's not a limitation, but it's boundaries that God has placed to protect the sanctity, the purity, the beauty, the joy, and the pleasure of sexuality. The boundaries of marriage are sex in its best context, in the context in which we were created for. And so that's kind of the first thing to note. That's it, It's protecting the sanctity of sexuality. Verse 15 now says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So let's look at verse 16. This is kind of the key verse here. It says that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her. For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Here's the kind of radical part about this. He says, even when a person joins themselves sexually to a prostitute, they become one flesh. You become one body. So he's essentially saying, look, guys, it doesn't matter who you have sex with. It doesn't matter the context. If you go for that, what you are doing is joining yourself to someone in, in a way that is according to Genesis, a one flesh union that was designed to stay within the confines of marriage. So essentially what this means here is that when you are sexually active, you're creating a unison, a unity, a oneness of, of character, of essence, and of experience with this person that, that you're sexually active with. And obviously, of course, that would be designed to be in marriage. But then he says, interestingly enough, in verse 17, if you're joined to the Lord, you're one spirit. So then if you connect this with Ephesians 5, it says that when a man and woman become one flesh sexually, he says it's actually a great ministry speaking concerning Christ and the church. So just like we become one spirit with Christ when we become Christians, you become uh, comparatively one flesh with the person that you're sexually active with. And the ideal situation would obviously be marriage. So essentially what's being said is that the one flesh union that takes place through sex was designed to typify or symbolize the one spirit union that we have with Christ. So the relationship that you have with Christ, this upward relationship, is supposed to be reflected in a marriage. And most specifically in this context or this passage, Paul says it's through a sexual relationship. So the intimacy that is cultivated and created in the marriage bed of a man and woman is supposed to reflect the intimacy that we have with Christ. Now you can also kind of see this in common interpretations of the book of Song of Solomon, for example, because when you read Song of Solomon and you look at how erotic it is, even in certain places, and you knowing that it's about a husband and wife, will take that and think, okay, well, I've heard it said that this is about Christ as the groom and the church as the bride. And so this is Christ loving the church. But here's the weird thing about it. We're, we're not in any kind of sexual relationship with Christ, right? You know, in the way that we would be with a, with a, with a human being. And so that's obviously not what's, not what's being said. But what is being said is that the characteristics of a sexual relationship in a human marriage 
is supposed to be reflective of the characteristics that are in the relationship that human beings have with Christ or that Christians have with Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about in this episode and, and, and why it's so, so, so important. So I want to start by talking about the characteristics of our relationship with Christ because that is what a sexual relationship is supposed to reflect. It, its characteristics, in other words. And so when we think about a relationship with Christ, what we're getting at is that there's unconditional love. Jesus said that as the Father loved me, so I love you. That's in John chapter 17. So the same way that God loved Christ is the way that he loves us continually. He also says in the end of Matthew, I will never leave you or forsake you. The Bible also says about kind of the unconditional characteristics of God's love that even when we were still or when we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus is then in John 13. He's washing the feet of his disciples, taking the place of the lowliest of servants to serve his disciples, to lift them up, to value them, to encourage them. And he says, you should love others as I've loved you. He says, this is the greatest commandment. It's, the, it's my commandment to you that you love others as I have loved you. And so he's modeling a love here that is sacrificial servitude, it is selfless and unconditional. It does not depend on a person's behavior or the way that you love. The way that he loves doesn't depend on our behavior. His love is not fickle. It is changeless. It, it, it continues in the same intensity, in the same zeal, in the same passion, in the same devotion, regardless of the conditions or the circumstances, situation, or behavior. So God's love never changes. And the best part about this is that 1 Corinthians 6 describes it as a one spirit connection with Christ. So in our relationship with Christ, for example, if we're taking prayer as the example, when we go pray and we spend time with the Lord or we worship or we gather together with other believers in certain cases and we worship or sing together and we study the word, What's supposed to happen is that we go into this secret place of the Most High. And actually in Hebrews 10, it says having boldness to go into the holiest of all by the blood of Jesus. So it is the very presence of God that envelops us and we experience what is an actual oneness with Christ. In 1 John chapter 1, it actually says that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So there's a communion there. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13 calls it the communion of the Holy Spirit. So you're actually brought into the fellowship of the Trinity even. So you enjoy this communion and friendship in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, welcomed as a son or daughter into the presence of God with no restraints, with no limitations, because you're welcomed and made worthy by the blood of Jesus, and you experience a oneness with God himself, which is something we cannot achieve. It's something that we never earned. It is given to us as a free gift. We have access by one spirit to the Father, by the Holy Spirit, and by the blood of Jesus and the grace of God. That's in Ephesians chapter 2. So, what we're experiencing is complete and utter oneness, that then produces the, these characteristics of unconditional love that we experience with him. So then carry that into a human relationship, a human marriage. I know I've kind of said a mouthful there, but you carry that into a human relationship. What takes place? This means that the highest or greatest experience of oneness and love that you can and should have with your spouse will be in the sexual union. So the Bible is really teaching here, and this is I, I, a lot of this. There's no chapter and verse for, but I'm just showing you how the Lord has revealed some things to to me based on what Scripture says. Okay, 
that when a man and woman who are married, when they come together sexually in the marriage bed, it's not just supposed to be a way that they can please each other or or satisfy each other. It's not about gratification. It's it's not about fulfilling a need. Because if that's what it's all about, it's mostly meaningless. There's a spiritual purpose and power there, which means that when a man and woman come together sexually, they're supposed to actually be experiencing the most passionate and most intense kind of love, oneness, connection, and intimacy that they could possibly have in their entire marriage and throughout their entire lives. So when you are intimate with your spouse in that way, you are returning to, again and again, that chamber of intimacy that is the only kind of human connection that the Bible says can accurately reflect that utter oneness that we have with Christ when we are experiencing being loved by Him. And so, because that sexual union in marriage is supposed to be reflective of the union that we have with Christ, then sex is actually going to keep you reminded of the love of God instead of instead of being a distraction from it, right? And so, because a lot of times, and this is kind of the, the more negative point of view, a lot of times when people think about sex, even in a marriage sometimes, this is, I wouldn't say it's extremely common, but I've heard it and, and, and you know, heard couples talk about this or, or heard of people expressing this kind of frustration where they're like, I feel like when I'm, you know, getting intimate with my spouse, that there's just a part of it that doesn't quite seem holy to me. It doesn't quite seem pure. I don't know his or her motives. It's just sometimes it's weird and we have trouble figuring it out. And it's just, it's not holy, you know, and and people experience this. If this is you, you're watching this video and that's what your marriage is like, that essentially what's happening there and that kind of frustration is that there's a misunderstanding of the purpose of sex. There's a misunderstanding of what it's intended to accomplish. Because if you view sex as something purely carnal, physical, and material, detached from the spirituality that we feel like is really our identity, then you're actually removing from sex what gives it its its meaning, what gives it its significance, and actually what gives it its holiness, and what gives it its purity. And so you have to understand that fundamentally, sex is spiritual, not physical. And so this means then, and, and how I've kind of experienced this, and, and my wife and I with this understanding, it's brought us to such a place now where we understand we should not be going about our intimacy with an attitude of getting needs met, with an attitude of fulfilling, satisfying, gratifying, pleasing, if you will. Because even though all those things are not necessarily inherently wrong, they're not what makes sex powerful. They're not what makes it really meaningful. And so if you want your sexual relationship with your spouse to be healed, if you want it to be restored, even reconciled to God's original design, then you have to clear away the rubble and the cloudiness over your vision or perception of the purpose of sex. You really got to understand why God made it. And that's ultimately what this podcast is about. It's what the book is about, that it's about rediscovering. This is the subtitle of the book, Rediscovering the Supernatural Power of Sex as God Intended It. Okay, so that being said, now what I'd like to walk you guys through is what I call the nine characteristics of a sinless sex life in marriage. Now, I'm going to go over this because number one, it's in the discussion guide that goes with the podcast and the book. And number two, it, I think, quantifies exactly what it looks like 
or I would say articulates exactly what it looks like to be in a marriage and experience sexuality in a way that's truly holy and pure. Now, when I'm saying nine characteristics of a sinless sex life, this in, this assumes that there is a sinful sex life too. And I'm going to argue, and this is where I'm going to get a little bit controversial. I'm going to argue that you can still experience a sinful sexual, sexual relationship even in marriage. Now, if I were to kind of water that, I don't want to say water it down, but just I would say dilute it a little bit, boil it down, I should say a little bit more. I don't mean sinful sex life. I mean a sex life primarily that's still affected by sin, that's still poisoned by sin, even to add a little bit stronger word there. You can be married and still experience a sexuality in a way that's being affected negatively by sin. And so the goal, this is where the real revelation in, uh, comes in here. Your goal when you get married is not just so that you now have an acceptable outlet for a sexual expression. The goal is that once you get married, you let God usher you into a sexual experience that is not just acceptable, not just common, not just standard, not just religious, but one that is truly sinless, pure. Because the Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled, untouched by sin. So I believe, and I believe the Bible so clearly makes this known, that the chamber of intimacy in a marriage is supposed to be an area of the human life where you can experience an utter sinlessness and purity that's characteristic of the purity that's in heaven. I totally 100% believe that. And so as a result, the Lord has kind of inspired me to write out these nine characteristics of a sinless sex life. And if you're interested in being a part of uh, starting a small group for Undefiled, get this discussion guide and you guys will go through these nine characteristics and discuss them in a group setting. So I'm just going to read them off to you guys so you understand in an illustration or in a detailed description, I should say, what this actually looks like when, when you're in a sexual relationship that's actually reflecting the union that you have with Christ. So first one in these characteristics, you won't get married to escape sin, but only to enjoy life in Christ. Sin is not feared, nor does it have any power to entice you. In other words, sin does not uh, assert itself into marriage in that you don't get married to escape sin. There's no fear of temptation, so you wouldn't pursue righteousness for the sake of fearing sin, right? Second one, there's no comparison in your thinking because your spouse is the only one whose nakedness you see and your only model of perfect beauty. Third one, you do not know disappointment, nor do you have faulty expectations because you have no concept instilled by the world of what sex is supposed to look like. Sex is never a performance. So I'm going to include or kind of bunch the previous two together and say that in the relationship you have with your spouse, the intimate relationship that you have with your spouse, there is no disappointment, no comparison. You view them as the only one that you've ever seen naked, the only one you've ever seen exposed. They're your perfect standard of beauty because they're the only one that your eyes see. That's why in Genesis it says that Adam and Eve were both naked and they were not ashamed of each other. There was no comparison, no disappointment. Next one. Sex is never stale or boring because love in God is a glory-to-glory -glory experience and an unquenchable fire. Next, you never hesitate to love your spouse sexually when you're able and when it's appropriate because you only associate sex with goodness. Sex never stimulates negative emotions. Next, you don't seek sex for personal gratification ever. 
but only to enhance mutual intimacy, marital intimacy, because you've died to self. Being denied sex, this is a big one for men, being denied sex cannot affect your contentment. If love does not seek its own, and that love is brought into a sexual experience, then you cannot seek sex for self-gratification. It is only to enhance that mutual intimacy together. It's always about we, not you or me, right? Okay, next one is your attraction for your spouse doesn't falter as you age because you focus first on your spouse's incorruptible spiritual beauty and not their physical beauty. Next one is that you make love to your spouse one day and you can pray to God the next and you experience the presence of God the same way in both. You know God's pleasure in sex the same as you do in the work of the gospel. And I want to make a comment on that one. That's essentially saying that your awareness of God's approval of your life or of you, your awareness of his pleasure over you, is not affected when you get intimate with your spouse. Because if there's a stain on sex in your thinking, even in marriage, you're going to think that God is somehow disappointed or God somehow looks on you with disapproval in that part of your life. And that's saying that a sinless sex life is an experience of the pleasure, approval, and the, and the grace of God, regardless of the circumstance. So whether you're praying or worshiping in church or whether you're intimate with your spouse, it should not make a difference as far as your awareness of God's pleasure over you. And the last one is the moment of sexual oneness in, or excuse me, is a divinely charged love of the highest intensity, being the only kind of human oneness that reflects the oneness you have with Christ. And so those are the nine characteristics of a sinless sex life. And I wrote these out so that couples can actually pursue these things together. Because you should be able to read these and say, hey, does our sex life look like this? If you're married, does our sexual relationship look like this? Are there these characteristics? Is there still some insecurities? Is there still some lingering disappointment? Is there comparison? Is there selfishness? Are we self-seeking in this? Is, is this about self-gratification? Is this uh, is our attraction for one another faltering? Is is how we feel going to change the way that we love each other? You know all these different things, and this again kind of articulates it for you in a systematic manner, so you can talk about these things with your spouse. So again, I'd encourage you, even just as an individual, to get this discussion guide because even if you talk through these questions, even with just your spouse, it's just going to be hugely instrumental for you as far as improving the intimacy in your marriage. So that is that, the nine characteristics of a sinless sex life. Now, I'd like to then uh, finish up this episode. I wanted to keep it a little bit shorter because there's a lot of content uh, in this episode, even though it's I'm going to keep it a little bit shorter because there's a lot, a lot to think about. And I want you guys to read the book because there's a whole lot of details I skipped over in this episode that you're only going to find in actually reading uh, Undefiled. And this is in Chapter 3, which is titled The Purpose of Intimacy. And so before I close, I just want to finish with a reminder, a final reminder, that the number one thing that makes intimacy in a marriage holy, the, the number one thing that makes it pure, is an understanding that this is designed to be reflective of the love that I can have with Jesus. Now the thing is, in order to understand that, you have to have a relationship with Christ. That's the thing. You can't experience sexuality this way while having a superficial relationship with God. You can't have the intimacy with your spouse reflect the intimacy you have with Christ if you don't have an intimacy with Christ. 
All of us are given opportunity for this kind of relationship with Jesus, but we have to pursue it. And so that's why I'm saying really the answer to healing your sexuality is not really any sexual instruction. It's actually spiritual instruction. Get right with God. That's my challenge. That's my my uh, exhortation to you and even admonition to you. Like, look, if you don't have a relationship with God and you're trying to fix your marriage, you're trying to heal your marriage, you're trying to help your spouse um, together with you improve your sex life, but you don't have a relationship with God, you're putting the cart before the horse. If you don't learn what it means to love as Christ has loved you, which means you don't actually know what it's like to experience the love of God, you have to focus on that first. Now, what I will say to finish is that once you've realized that you need to have a relationship with God, you got to pray for it. So I would just say, go before the Lord, get alone with God, and just say, Lord, I've, I've put my experience in this relation in this marriage ahead of my personal relationship with you and just pray and say lord i just ask that you would root and ground me in the love of christ for me that i'd understand your grace your mercy and your love for me and i would know what it means to be loved by you so that i can just simply let that love that is poured out over me overflow into my marriage and enhance the intimacy i have with my with my spouse as a natural byproduct That's just an example prayer, but pray that way. Focus on your intimacy with Jesus because that's the thing that adds that power and that that intimacy to a marriage. Because, And I'm going to speak to guys for a moment here before I uh, end the episode. It is very common for guys to want their wives to be more sexually interested to be more excited about sex. It's very, very common. But here's the thing. If you approach anything that you are excited about, and then in that approach, try to kind of impart that excitement to somebody else without describing to them or showing them, demonstrating to them the purpose of that thing you're excited about, it's not going to be real. They're not going to be able to actually partake of that excitement. It would it would kind of be like trying to describe to someone how good your favorite meal tastes. Take your favorite dessert, for example, and just trying to describe how good it is and just saying, man, it's just so good. You know, it's, it's, it's silky, it's smooth, it's, you know, so, so tasty, it's delicious. If you're describing that dessert to somebody, but then you don't let them taste it, you're not actually giving them the experience that will make them as excited as you are about tasting this or about this dessert, this food, right? And I think sex is the same way. That I think guys as a natural tendency are more excited about sex because it's just kind of more ingrained in in our in in, in our physical nature, our emotional nature, I will say. And a woman doesn't generally speaking have that same excitement. And I think the reason why is because we've made sex in our minds, fundamentally physical, that it appears superficial to the average woman in a lot of cases. And what I'm arguing is that if you want, speaking to men again, if you want your wife to be more excited or passionate about your sexual relationship, about your intimacy, which is very important, but you're not together mutually understanding the spiritual purpose for pursuing your intimacy, 
then it's just like you describing a dessert without letting them taste it. It's just like saying, hey, I want you to be excited about this because I am, but they don't have your understanding. And especially if you don't have the spiritual uh, groundedness or the groundedness and the spiritual purpose of sexuality, you're certainly not going to be able to communicate that to your wife. And so I'm saying you really got to understand and know, like, what is the love of God like? And how is that supposed to be reflected in our intimacy, the intimacy I have with my wife and or, or my spouse? And and how can we experience that? And how can we experience the love of God so deeply when we're intimate that both of us are mutually always excited about it because we know it's a purpose beyond the physical. There's purpose that's transcendent. It's beyond something superficial. It's beyond just pleasure and gratification. You got to know the why behind what you're doing besides just pleasure and gratification. Because if I was a woman, I don't think I'd be very excited about about sex either in marriage if I knew it was just about gratifying or pleasing a husband, right? Because then it, it is, in that case, kind of a grueling obligation. It can become a chore. And everything and anything becomes a chore when it loses its sanctity, when it, when it loses its value. If you don't know the purpose behind doing something, you're never going to be excited about it. And so that is my encouragement to those of you who are listening who are men and, but it also applies to women too, because both men and women in their marriages have to understand purpose of sexuality. So that's what I want to say to close this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to it, supporting the podcast, the, the videos, the audio, the book, the discussion guide. And the way that you could be a huge support to this project would be to gather these materials, draw upon these resources for the, these, this undefiled movement and share it with your friends and 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 start one of these small groups and discuss this biblical sexuality with just a couple friends of yours even and i do believe that god's going to use it to revolutionize so many marriages and heal the sexual understanding and experiences of people who have come out of perversion or promiscuity or abuse and all kinds of things and, and i know that in order for us to really experience revival in the body of christ especially in the united, in the united states we need to have the backbone of our marriages and family units secure. And that can't happen without healing sexuality. And so that's how I'd encourage you to continue supporting this project. Thank you again so, so much for listening. If you want to purchase any materials, go to valiantmi.com store. And I will talk to you guys next Thursday.